Chapter thirty two of the Memoirs of Chateaubriand, seventeen sixty eight to eighteen hundred, part three. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Nicole Lee, Memoirs of Chateaubriand, seventeen sixty eight to eighteen hundred, part three, by Francois Rene de Chateaubriand. Chapter thirty two. London from April till September, eighteen twenty two. Lord Byron in lord byron's poetry striking imitations of the minstrel are to be found at the time of my exile in england lord byron was at school at harrow a village ten miles from london he was a boy i too was young and as much unknown as he he had been brought up amongst the heaths of scotland on the sea-coast as i had been on the lawn of Brittany, bordering the ocean he at first delighted in the bible and Achine, as i loved them in Newstead Abbey he sang the remembrances of his youth, as I recorded mine in the Chateau of Combourg. In my excursions about the neighbourhood of London, at the time when I was so unhappy, I have twenty times passed through the village of Harrow without having any idea of the genius which it contained. I have sat in the cemetery at the foot of the elm under which, in 1807, Lord Byron wrote the following lines, at the very time of my return from Palestine. How do thy branches, moaning to the blast, invite the bosom to recall the past and seem to whisper as they gently swell take while thou canst a lingering last farewell when fate shall chill at length this fevered breast and calm its cares and passions into rest oft have i thought twould soothe my dying hour if aught may soothe when life resigns her power to know some humble grave some narrow cell would hide my bosom where it loved to dwell with this fond dream methinks twere sweet to die and here it lingered, here my heart may lie. Here might I sleep, where all my hopes arose, Scenes of my youth and couch of my repose, etc., etc. And I too say hail, venerable elm, at the foot of which Byron, when a boy, gave free scope to the fancies of his age, when I also was dreaming of René under thy shade, under the very same shade where the English poet came at a later period to dream of Child Harold byron asked of the burying-place which was the witness of the sports of his early life an humble grave a useless request which renown will never grant byron however is no longer what he was when living at venice i met with his name everywhere in the very same city some years afterwards his name was blotted out from memory and nowhere known it was no longer repeated by the echoes of the lido and if you asked the venetians about him they knew not of whom you spoke with respect to them, Lord Byron is dead. They no longer hear the neighing of his horse. The case is the same in London, where his memory is dying out. Such is the lot of men. If it happened to me frequently to pass through Harrow, without knowing that it was then the abode of the boy Lord Byron, Englishmen have passed through Combourg without suspecting that a little truant, brought up in its woods, would ever leave a trace of himself. Arthur Young, in his farmer's tour through France, Spain, and Italy, has thus described Combourg. To Combourg, the country has a savage aspect, husbandry not much further advanced, at least in skill, than among the Hurons, which appears incredible amidst enclosures, the people almost as wild as their country, and their town of Combourg, one of the most brutal, filthy places that can be seen, mud-houses, no windows, and a pavement so broken as to impede all passengers but ease none. Yet here is a chateau, and inhabited, who is this Monsieur de Chateaubriand, the owner, that has nerves strung for a residence amid such filth and poverty? 
below this hideous heap of wretchedness is a fine lake surrounded by well-wooded enclosures volume two page eighty three this monsieur de chateaubriand was my father the retreat which appeared so horrible to the agriculturist in an ill humour was notwithstanding a noble and beautiful residence although somewhat heavy and sombre as for myself i was then but a feeble plant of ivy just beginning to climb those rude towers and how could mr young whose attention was wholly engaged with our harvests have been able to perceive me let me here be allowed to add to those remarks written in england in eighteen twenty two some others written in eighteen fourteen and eighteen forty these will finish my notice of lord byron or rather this notice will be complete when my readers see what i again say of the great poet on my visiting venice there may be perhaps some interest in observing hereafter the concurrence of the two chiefs of the new french and english schools exhibiting so great a similarity in their ideas and destinies if not in their manners the one a peer of england the other a peer of france both travellers in the east the one often close upon the other without their ever having actually met the only difference is that the life of the english poet has been mixed up with events far less important than mine lord byron went after me to visit the ruins of greece in child harold he seems to embellish with his own colours the descriptions of the itinéraire at the commencement of my pilgrimage i reproduced the sire de joinville's farewell to his chateau byron addressed a similar farewell to his gothic halls in the martyrs eudorus set out from messenia to go to rome our voyage says he was long we saw all the promontories remarkable for their temples or tombs my young companions had never heard anything spoken of except the metamorphoses of jupiter and knew nothing of the ruins passing before their eyes for myself i had already sat with the prophet on the ruins of cities waste and desolate and babylon taught me the history and fate of corinth the english poet as well as the french prosaist had been anticipated by the letter of sulpicius to cicero a concurrence so perfect is to me singularly glorious seeing that i preceded the immortal bard to the shores of which we have preserved the same recollections and of which we have commemorated the same ruins i have further the honour of being in accord with lord byron in the, my letter on the campania possessed the inestimable advantage of having anticipated the inspirations of a renowned genius the early translators commentators and admirers of lord byron have been careful to avoid pointing out that some passages of my works might have remained for a moment in the recollection of the author of child harold they perhaps supposed that such a remark would have robbed his genius of some of its creative power now however that the enthusiasm has subsided a little they are less niggardly of doing me this honour our immortal beranger in the last volume of his songs has said in one of the couplets which precede this i refer to the liars which france owes to francois de chateaubriand i have no fear of this being gainsaid by the new school of poetry which being born under the wings of the eagle has often and with reason boasted of such an origin the influence of the author of the genie du christianisme has been no less felt in other countries and it would perhaps be any justice to acknowledge that the right of child harold is of the family of rene in an excellent article on lord byron m villemain has repeated beranger's remark some incomparable passages of rene says he had it is true exhausted this poetical character i know not whether byron imitated them or reproduced them by his genius what i have just said upon the affinities of imagination and destiny between the chronicler of rene and the author of child harold does not pluck away a single hair from the head of the immortal bard 
what could my prosaic and humble muse avail the muse of the dee with the lyre and wings lord byron will live whether as the child of his generation like myself he has expressed like me its passions and misfortunes as goethe did before us or whether the course and the lights of my garlic bark have been the guides of the bark of albion on unknown seas besides two minds of a similar bent may very well have similar ideas without there being any ground for approaching either with servile imitation of the other it is quite permissible to avail ourselves of ideas and imagery expressed in a foreign language in order to enrich our own this is a thing acknowledged in all ages and at all times i am conscious that in my youth i was indebted for many of my ideas to Achin, Werther, les reveries d'un promeneur solitaire and les études de la nature but i have never concealed anything nor dissembled the pleasure which i derived from the works in which i delighted if it be true that rene formed an element in the essence of that single personage introduced under different names in child harold conrad lara manfred and the jar if perchance lord byron had imparted to me life from his life would he then have had the weakness never to name me was i then one of those fathers who is denied as soon as one attains to power could lord byron who quotes almost all the french contemporary authors have been completely ignorant of me had he never heard me spoken of when the english as well as the french journals had been filled for twenty years with controversies upon my works when the new times drew a comparison between the writer of the genie du christianisme and the author of child harold there is no mind however highly favoured it may be which has not its peculiar susceptibility and distrust a man wishes to retain the sceptre fears to divide the sway and is angry at comparisons thus another superior genius has altogether omitted my name in a work on literature thanks to god that estimating myself at my just value i have never made any pretensions to empire as i believe in religious truth alone of which liberty is a form i have no more faith in myself than in anything else here below but have never felt the need of keeping silence when i really admired for this reason i proclaim my admiration of madame de steel and lord byron what is more delightful than admiration it partakes of heavenly law of tenderness exalted even to veneration we feel ourselves filled with gratitude to the divinity which extends the powers of our minds opens new views to our souls and confers upon us a happiness so great and so pure without any admixture either of envy or fear besides the petty quarrel which in these memoirs i wage against the greatest poet whom england has seen since milton proves only one thing the great value which i would have attached to the notice of his muse lord byron opened a deplorable school i presume he was as much grieved with the child harold's to whom he gave his birth as i am with the renes who dream about me the life of lord byron is a subject of much investigation and of many calumnies the young have taken his magic words as seriously meant women have felt disposed to suffer themselves to be seduced with fear by this monster to console this solitary and unhappy satan who knows perhaps he did not find the woman whom he sought a woman beautiful enough a heart as large as his own according to the theory of demoniacal possession byron is the old seducing and corrupting serpent because he sees the corruption of the human race he is a fated and suffering genius placed between the mysteries of matter and mind who finds no word to express the enigma of the universe who looks upon life as a frightful mockery without a cause as a perverse smile of evil he is the son of despair whose language is contempt and denial a man who has not passed through the age of innocence and who having come forth reprobate from the bosom of nature is the damned of annihilation such is the byron of heated imaginations 
such as it appears to me is not the man in reality as in the case of most others two different men are combined in lord byron the man of nature and the man of training the poet perceiving the character which the public gave him to play accepted it and began to curse the world which he had at first only done in his poetic dreams this course is apparent in the chronological order of his works as to his genius far from having the extent attributed to it it is limited enough his poetical thoughts are confined to lamentation complaint and imprecation in these respects they are admirable we are not to ask the liar what it thinks but what it sings as to his mind it is sarcastic and varied but of a nature which agitates and of evil influence the writer has carefully studied voltaire and imitates him lord byron endowed with every advantage had little reason to reproach his birth the very accident which rendered him unhappy and which linked all his lofty superiority with human infirmity ought not to have tormented him since it did not hinder him from being loved the immortal bard knew from his own experience how true is the maxim of zeno the voice is the flower of beauty how deplorable is the rapidity with which renown flies away at the present day at the end of some years what do i say of some months the public infatuation disappears and reviling succeeds the glory of lord byron already begins to pale his genius is better understood among us and altars will be raised to his honour longer in france than in england as the peculiar excellency of child harold consists in the delineation of individual sentiment and feeling the english who prefer such sentiments as are common to all will end by disowning the poet whose plaint is so deep and sorrowful let them beware if they break the image of the man who has made them live what will they have remaining when i wrote these remarks on lord byron during my exile in london in eighteen twenty two he had only two years of his earthly race to run he died in eighteen twenty four at the very time in which the public disenchantment and a strong feeling of repugnance towards him were about to commence i preceded him in life he has gone before me to the grave he has been called away before his turn my number was before his and nevertheless his was drawn out before mine child harold ought to have remained the world might lose me without perceiving my disappearance in continuing my route i met madame guccioli in rome and lady byron in paris weakness and virtue have thus been presented to me the former had perhaps too much reality and the latter not enough of ideality End of chapter thirty two